there, and welcome to Sex and the Sacred, where history, religion, and sexuality collide. I'm your host, Anna Zuckerman, and today, I'm here to explore the relationship between two biblical women. Who can say what precisely their dynamic was? However, it shows us the complexities of female intimacy from well over two millennia ago. You're listening to Sex and the Sacred, and today, we're talking about Ruth and Naomi. The story of Ruth and Naomi comes from the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. The book itself is divided into four chapters and is really quite brief. Chapter 1 begins with the death of Naomi's husband, followed by the deaths of her two sons. Here's what the New Revised Standard Version, or NRSV, of the Bible says next. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah, the second daughter-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. After this, Ruth accompanies Naomi to Bethlehem, Naomi's native town. The rest of the chapters detail Ruth's fortunes following their arrival. Naomi instructs the younger woman to collect grain left over from the barley harvesters and instructs her to appeal to the owner of the fields when she discovers that he is a close relative. Ruth follows her directions without question and is soon married to Boaz, Naomi's relative and now protector. Here's how the book ends. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, 
Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, before we get into our analysis of the two women, it is important to note that scholars have questioned the authenticity of this very last sentence. Some argue that this connection from Naomi and Ruth to King David was manufactured after the king's death to support continuity between the books. However, since this does not impact the part of the story we will look at today, I'll leave the topic at that. So, let's talk about Ruth and Naomi. What can we gather from these two short passages? Well, first and foremost, we can tell that this is a story about loyalty and devotion. Naomi allows Ruth and Orpah to return to their family homes. Naomi was Jewish and a native of Judah. Ruth and Orpah were not. Despite the famine in Moab, it is reasonable to assume that both of the younger women would find better fortunes for themselves with their families. Naomi was a woman and therefore could not protect, provide for, or even marry off the women to new husbands. Orpah hears this logic and leaves to return to her family. Ruth, however, stays. When Naomi tries again to dissuade her, Ruth says those life-changing words, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This succinct but passionate soliloquy is exactly what it sounds like. A declaration of unending love. But this is my question for you today. How can we understand this love between Ruth and Naomi? Well, we have some options. Canonically, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. Although this legal relationship dissolved when Ruth's husband died, the biblical narrator still uses the terms of this relationship. However, the end of the story doesn't quite fit this dynamic. Ruth bears a son who is referred to as Naomi's child. Think about this. Obed, in the last paragraph of the book, is Ruth and Naomi's child, not Ruth and Boaz's. Why is that? Now, I'm sure you're expecting me to jump in with the queer theory and LGBT history that I usually have for these stories. And, in truth, I had planned to write this episode along those lines. However, since there is already an abundance of research examining the dynamic between Ruth and Naomi, including a number of hypotheses that the two were sexually linked, I will maintain a bigger picture stance on the story this time. It is certainly possible that Ruth and Naomi were lovers. The phrase, where you go, I will go, was used as the main slogan of the third lesbian conference in Israel several years ago. And certainly Ruth's words have been used to show the intensity and purity of same-sex love, even becoming a popular source of wedding vows. However, 
I think that Ruth and Naomi's relationship was far more than sexual. In fact, I think it very well may not have had any kind of sexual element, at least not in the way that we perceive sexuality now. I think that this relationship is far more powerful if we view it from a point of emotional intimacy, not physical intimacy. Let's get into this a little more. And just as a reminder, there is more information about Ruth, Naomi, and the queer history element of this story in the show notes at www.sexandthesacred.com. Ruth and Naomi had both lost their husbands, less than a decade apart. With no children to distract them, it is reasonable to assume that Ruth and Orpah were the people whom Naomi relied on to process her grief. And it is clear that when Ruth's husband dies, she turns to Naomi as well. This is all fairly typical and in line with behaviors for the time and location. However, the divergence from the normal story begins when Ruth refuses to leave the older woman. When Naomi sends her former daughters-in-law back to their families, Ruth vehemently rejects the proposal. She declares her love and her loyalty to Naomi and begs to never be parted from her. This, in and of itself, diverges from most Old Testament stories. As a young widow, Ruth would be expected to marry again. She was of an age to bear children, and her livelihood would have depended on her doing so. And yet, she doesn't care. Ruth, in staying with Naomi, does far more than choose to stay with her mother-in-law. She chooses a companion over the possibility of food, comfort, children, and safety. That is huge. But wait a second, you say. Ruth does get married and has food, comforts, children, and all of that. True, you're right. But here's the thing. Ruth gets those things because she gave them up for Naomi. She sacrificed the possibility of having comforts and was rewarded with them. That, at least, is the theological interpretation of the story. When Ruth does marry, it happens as a result of Naomi's forethought. Ruth's meeting with Boaz and subsequent appeal to him occur because Naomi told Ruth where to meet him and what to say to him. Naomi orchestrates this whole interaction so that Ruth will be provided for. And in doing so, Naomi is rewarded as well. Let's dig into the final part of the story. Ruth and Boaz have married and born a child. Instead of focusing on the father and son dynamic, as these stories usually do, we have no mention of Boaz beyond his contribution to the conception of Obed. However, Obed is tied to Naomi. He is her son, hers and Ruth's. This, whatever your thoughts on the sexual nature of their relationship are, is so clearly special, so clearly important, so clearly a testament to the bond between Ruth and Naomi. And everybody understands this. That is the miracle of the story to me. Emotional intimacy between women is a tale as old as time. Whether the relationship is sexual or not, there is an undeniable thread that connects women together 
and makes female relationships uniquely intense. I don't know if they were lovers, or if they were closer to the mother-daughter relationship that they once legally had. But it is clear that Ruth and Naomi had this sacred feminine bond. The thing that is amazing about this is that the rest of Bethlehem observed this and supported them. The community around these two women is so in touch with their intimate relationship that they call Obed Naomi's child. This is not about succession. This is about the creation of kinship and family. Thousands of years ago, a community of Jewish people saw two women raising a child together and thought nothing of it. And that is so incredibly important to me, to queer history, to the study of religion and gender. Female communities have existed for millennia. The it takes a village to raise a child trope too is an ancient one. And yet this family is different. This family is composed of two independent women, one a foreigner who choose each other over the world and raise a child together despite having no legal or blood connections. They are not revered because they are good Jews or because Ruth was obedient to a husband. They are revered because they were loyal to each other and because they crafted comfortable, successful lives for themselves and created their own family. Whatever century you live in, that is undeniably special. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned a little bit about Ruth and Naomi and the exceptional bond that has transcended the millennium between them and us. Next time on Sex and the Sacred, I'll be discussing two-spirit traditions, a spiritual approach to gender and sexuality that survives to this day in Native American communities. Subscribe now and make sure you don't miss it. If you've enjoyed the episode and want to learn more about the Book of Ruth, the queer history behind it, or the impressive feminist threads in Ruth and Naomi's story, head to www.sexandthesacred.com where you can find the show notes for this and every episode. Likewise, if you'd like to get in on our super cool Sex and the Sacred t-shirts, water bottles, mugs, and other merch, search for Sex and the Sacred on your Redbubble or Patreon pages, where you can find us and help support the show. That's all for now. I'm your host, Anna Zuckerman, and you're listening to Sex and the Sacred, where history, religion, and sexuality collide. Thanks for tuning in with me. I'll see you next time.